Hello, hello. My name is Abram Malone, and I am with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, as as you maybe have noticed, I don't have a guest with me. Uh, this is going to be my story. You're going to learn a little bit about how I have been working from home for 12 years and why and how and where. So, But before I get into that, I do want to take a moment and invite you to be a guest on the show. I actually have a website. You can go to www.yesiworkfromhome.com forward slash podcast. If you go there, you'll see uh, two buttons. You can either look at all the episodes uh, or you can click on become a guest. So you can also go to www.yesiworkfromhome.com forward slash podcast forward slash guest. And on here, you're going to find a few buttons. Uh, it's going to do a little description of who we're looking for and a little bit about the kinds of people we are hoping to have on our show. Uh, basically, if you are an entrepreneur and, or an employee of any sort, freelancer, teleworker, remote worker, and you have an interesting story, uh, maybe you have overcome some challenge and uh, been able to live a live a better life because you're working from home, or maybe you uh, were forced to work from home uh, from circumstances that are outside of your control. Whatever your story is, we would like to hear more about you. You can click on the button that says guest interview, and there will open up a form. You can fill out a few questions about yourself. Some of them are optional. Some of them are not. And just let us know why you might want to be in the podcast, who you serve, and I just want to mention something about my guests. And you may have noticed this if you have listened to some of the previous podcast uh, episodes. We'll, we will help let you share what you want to share. If you're interested in promoting the product that you are uh, serving people who work from home with, like, for instance, if you are offering coaching or consulting services for people who work from home as far as accountability, productivity, uh, tech resources or something like that, we want to hear all about it. You can tell us how to find you, where you are, what you sell, and all of those things. That's great. If you're an employee and you don't feel as comfortable sharing your personal contact information or even the name of your employer, uh, that's fine. You don't have to. So if you do go back and listen to some of these episodes, you might hear some of those people are sharing, some of them aren't. It's, what, it's what's comfortable for you. And I'm I'm great with all of that. Uh, this is a diverse podcast. I, I like variety. So the niche that I am serving as people, are the people who work from home or the work from homers or whatever you want to call some people say homies, <laughs> whatever you want to call yourself, that's fine. Uh, remote worker, teleworker, entrepreneur. Um, we, we want everyone to feel comfortable here. What we have in common isn't maybe the dollar amount that we make every month or, uh, you know, the kind of lifestyle that we live. But what we have in common is that we all work from home and we're trying to juggle our lives. Uh, a home office or a desk sitting in the middle of who knows a kitchen or living room and also you know working and living in the same space so that's what we're about if you're interested in being a guest i would love to have you fill out that form um you can send me a message again in in like facebook messenger i'm out there april came alone you can find me so all right without further ado i am going to get into telling you my story Okay, so this is like a story in five parts. I have lived in five different houses, and I just want to talk a little bit about what that's like and how I started there. Okay, so I graduated from college. Now, I actually studied music and art, uh, and I had a bachelor's in, in that. I studied at Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, River Falls, and it's a beautiful small town, about maybe 2,000 people on campus. Uh, really had a good time there, really enjoyed um the art side of it more than I thought. I went in as a music major thinking I would be art, uh, a music educator. 
And after observing a few classes in the public schools, I was like, you know what? This probably isn't going to be for me. I'm not really interested in having to learn how to play every band instrument and be able to instruct and lead, you know, larger ensembles like that. Because I didn't personally have a lot of experience in that setting. I was more of a solo pianist, if you will. Um, so, and again, I think some of it comes, comes to personality. I, I realized that I didn't have as much training as some of my colleagues did. So uh, if I started, you know, my high quality piano lessons later in my, you know, even into my teen years, some of my uh, competitors or classmates or colleagues, whatever you want to call them, they had been taking really great piano lessons since the age of three. So uh, I discovered that I was good at photography. I really enjoyed it and started to spend a lot more time in the photography studio as well as the, the pottery studio. Now, while I was in college, I had the opportunity to go on a trip down to Peru. Uh, there was a local church that I was involved in, and we just spent two weeks in Peru uh, going into lots of schools, um, elementary schools, middle schools, maybe even high schools, um, public and private. And it was just a really amazing experience. And when I graduated, I had the opportunity to travel again with that same organization uh, for four months. I did like an internship with them. And that it was a team of about 16 people. We were supposed to go to India, let's see, three countries in Africa, Bulgaria, and Kosovo or Kosovo. Uh, but uh, my team ended up doing a little bit of a different route because we had such a big team. They split us up. So I ended up in the Dominican Republic twice and Puerto Rico and then Kosovo. And we had a little bit of a layover in Switzerland while we were waiting for the visas to come through for Africa that never came through. <laughs> so uh, some of my teammates did get to go to India. I have not been there. I still have the visa in my passport uh, that has now since expired. But uh, this was about 20 years ago, right when I graduated in 2000. So when I when I graduated from college, I, I kind of felt like it was harder for me to know what I was going to do than it was when I graduated from high school. When you graduate from high school, everyone's like, you know, what do you want to be? What do you want to study? What do you want to do? And I knew I wanted to go to college. Well, when I graduated, that's when it got really tricky. I had always hoped that maybe I would get married young and have a big family. My my parents actually had 10 kids. So, um, you know, that was kind of my dream. I don't know. I, I Just so you know, like, <laughs> disclaimer or spoiler, where I only ended up having three children. We got married when I was 31 years old. Um, so anyway, to go back to the college years, I always had my eyes set on, you know, something that I could do from home while I was raising my family. Well, then, and then life kind of threw a different curveball at me, and I didn't get married for another 10 years. So I ended up being encouraged to apply for a position that Mayo Clinic. So I grew up in southeastern Minnesota, and there's a big clinic there. It's a big, world-famous medical center, and they were doing a sponsored program for people who wanted to become medical secretaries and transcriptionists. And I did kind of like typing. Um, I wasn't really interested in the desk work or the medical side of things. Um, never felt very comfortable about blood. <laughs> never had a desire to be in nursing or anything like that. But I, it was paid and they were going to pay you to go through your, their, their training for three months. And I did talk about this a little bit. And I think it was episode five. Um, uh, a friend of mine who was also a medical transcriptionist. Um, we, we, checked, we chatted a little bit about some of this. So I went ahead and took this job uh, to do this medical secretary training slash transcription. And at the time, they weren't allowing people to work from home. But my parents were kind of like, well, maybe in the future, that would be the sort of thing that you could do from home. And I was like, whatever. And I took the job with the expectation that I would only 
fulfill the one-year requirement. If they send you through the training, they expected that you would go ahead and work for them for a year. So fast forward 17 years later, I'm still employed by the same company. And isn't that how it is with a lot of people? It's like once you get those health benefits or, you know, that regular paycheck, it's kind of difficult to turn it down. Um, I did go ahead and got a master's degree. I got my master's degree in adult education. I considered for a while going into art education, maybe doing like the K through 12 certification and being an art teacher. And I discovered that it would take me longer to get that K through 12 certification than it would be for me to actually just do my master's degree. So I got the master's degree in adult education. And I feel like a lot of the things that I learned in that program were complementary. A lot of the things that I learned when I was studying the Montessori method uh, that we have used at times with our children, a lot of it has correlation with adult education as well. So why did I stay in that job for 17 years? Well, let me tell you, I ended up being on site with them for, I want to say about seven years. I did a little bit of like float secretary work. And then I worked for urologist. Um, all of the, the parts that have to do with urology would be things like, um, well, the male infertility and the prostate cancer and some of the bladder stuff that's all kind of tied in there. Um, we did have female urology as well. I was on the phone most of the time with guys. It was, it was okay. I worked for a really great doctor and I uh, had some really great colleagues there. It was fine. But when I got my master's degree, there was, um, there was a really bad year for weather that year. Uh, if you've ever lived in Minnesota, you know what I'm talking about. In the year 2007, there was just an unprecedented number of blizzards that year. The wind was very strong. It was very cold. The snow was very dry. And then when that wind came, it would just be whiteout conditions a lot. And I was driving about an hour every day to get to work. I was driving from a small town called Austin, Minnesota to Rochester. And Interstate 90 goes from that. And there's a lot of windmills out there for a reason because it's so windy. And I would be driving and I was white knuckling it almost every day. Because even if the skies are clear, you never know if things are going to be blowing across the street, uh, across the highway. Um, black ice is the thing. And it's just really easy to wipe out. So you would sometimes you'd be driving along and there'd be 30 cars in the ditch kind of thing. So not really great on the <laughs> peace in my life. Uh, I felt like I was going to die almost every single day as I was commuting to work, which is not a good thing to feel like every day for an hour. So uh, it was Christmas Day. It's like that breaking point, you know, I'm going to tell you my story of when it all, what all came down. But on Christmas Day, I was trying to drive home. It was about a 35 minute drive to my parents' house. And again, it was whiteout conditions. It was about 20 below zero Fahrenheit. And I had um, a friend, a young, a young gal was with me uh, to come and celebrate the, the holiday with us, just to kind of be part of our family, an extension of our family for that weekend. And we were about 10 minutes from my parents' house. And I got notification from my family that the rest of the relatives who were all traveling uh, all stopped and turned around and got uh, home again safely because it just wasn't safe enough for them to go that last 10 miles. And when I got to that point where everyone else turned around, my car broke down. I also got notification that the highway was closed and that there would be no tow trucks. And I felt like I was a sitting duck in the middle of this whiteout condition on the side of the highway, but not that far over. <laughs> I felt like if a plow were to come by, it would totally just smash us to smithereens. So thankfully, my, my father, my stepdad, was able to come and rescue us. It was... um 
his $100 K car, I think he had, uh, it was the kind of car where you could see, I thought that this was like a thing that people would like joke about, but you could actually literally see the road through the floorboards. There was like a hole down there and um, never been so happy to be in a car in my life. Uh, so my dad came and rescued us and got us home. And my mom had prepared food for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 people. And it was just the immediate family. Again, I am one of 10 kids, so it's still kind of a crowd <laughs> even just to go home there. But um, my mom said, April, your your face is white as a sheet. You know, you look like you saw a ghost. Uh, do, you, do you need to take a minute? And so we went back into the bedroom and I just started to sob. And I've never really felt like I had, you know... Um, a panic attack or a meltdown like that. But that really definitely was one of those moments where it was like, I just knew that this life that I had been living, you know, driving and commuting and, you know, working where I was, was just going to have to come to a halt. I couldn't do this anymore. And I told her, I'm like, mom, I love my family. I love you, all of you guys, but I can't live here. I can't stay here in Minnesota any longer. This is the last winter. I can't do it again. And I had been saying this for about 10 years, <laughs> but this was like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation. And I was just finishing up my master's degree. I had, I think, one semester left. And so I did have some friends that had moved down to Springfield, Missouri. And I had gone and visited them a few times and made a lot of friends, actually. Some of their community was just really welcoming, and I really liked what was happening down there. Um, I liked the weather a lot. Uh, people that live in Missouri don't think that they're south, but for me, it, coming from Minnesota, it felt very warm. There wasn't a lot of snow in the winter. Um, just, yeah, it wasn't 20 below ever. <laughs> So I decided, I set my sights on that city. I had to pick. I had a friend who was trying to convince me to come out to Billings, Montana, I think it was. And that to me would be more of a lateral move. <laughs> also cold and blizzardy. Uh, sometimes they would even get snow before we would in Minnesota. So I was able to rule that out pretty easily and went ahead and found a place down in, uh, in Missouri. Well, in the meantime, I was job hunting uh, for positions in Missouri. But the problem was, is that their cost of living is so low and so amazing that they don't need to pay, I guess, as high of wages. So in, in M Missouri, the wages are not nearly what they are in Minnesota. And I was struggling to find something that would pay me more than I was already making um, or even half of what I was already making. Some of the uh, jobs I was looking at that required like a master's degree were literally paying half of what I was already making as an hourly employee as a secretary. And coincidentally, at the same time, Mayo Clinic announced that they were going to finally expand their transcription program to work from home. So they were starting to allow the people who wanted to work from home uh, to make that transition. They had beefed up the security enough uh, as far as confidentiality and all of the things are all of those things are concerned um, that they felt comfortable um, letting people work from their home. And there was a whole transition, a lot of trainings and, you know, rules and protocols in place about uh, protecting the medical record and patient confidentiality st stuff. And uh, so they had just kind of been piloting that. And right around the same time that I was looking for a job, I went ahead and applied for two of the different positions and I got the second one. And I think they required me to do my training on site for it was supposed to be three months and I was able to complete it in about two, two and a half, two, two months. So I went ahead and purchased a house down in Missouri. Um, so my first day on the job officially as a work from homer, <laughs> I'm just going to say it awkwardly every single time. Someone who works from home was in my new house down in Missouri. Well, in order to be able to 
accomplish that, I had to have certain things in place. They required me to have my internet wired into the same room that I was working from. So I'd either have to like go into my house and find out where the cable was or the DSL hookup was uh, and choose to put my office there. Or I would have to have those guys come and like drill holes into my wall and um, set up my office wherever I wanted as long as they routed everything into that room. Well, I had them route uh, those wires into three different rooms in my house just in case I changed my mind. Uh, so I had an upstairs bedroom and a front office and also uh, like dining area where I could have set up my office. And I ended up keeping everything up in this bedroom upstairs and it was nice. It was a four bedroom house. I was single. I was living alone. Uh, I had a guest room, my bedroom, an office and a library. And that was a pretty sweet deal. I eventually got roommates and I eventually got married and we eventually had a baby and I was able to keep that same office that whole time. So then, well, I, when I got married, I, I met my husband and even while I think we were dating, it was pretty apparent that he would be graduating from his, uh, degree soon and would be pursuing a second, uh, grad school. He wanted to transfer and study. He was studying one thing and he wanted to study an, a complementary thing to that. So, uh, we ended up no, we knew that there wouldn't be a program for him in the city that we lived in, and it was inevitable that we would have to move. And I knew that going into the relationship, and sure enough, we had a baby, and about six months later, we moved to Illinois. And I have interviewed some people from Illinois. I've interviewed some people from Springfield and Minnesota. You can kind of see where I've made my connections here. So once we went to Illinois, we ended up downsizing to from a four-bedroom house to a two-bedroom house. And the second bedroom was itty bitty. It was it was more like a little breezeway walkthrough, like extended like large closets, but that was where we put the baby. So I didn't really have an office and we had a very long, narrow living room and we were able to just take some of the bookshelves that I had from the little library that I had at the previous house and we kind of like, I don't know, we stacked them together in an L shape and we put brackets on all of them and kind of jimmy rigged a little like, I don't know, an L-shaped office in the back. And we were able to put up a baby gate so the baby would stay out. Oh, she started to crawl and walk and everything and would get into the wires. And so we baby gated it. I think we even had two baby gates on that thing. Um, and it was it was okay. Um, when I was working at night, uh, as I mentioned in the past, I, I worked overnights uh, when I was doing this transcription job. And uh, that was kind of like the low man on the totem pole. You get the worst schedule and then eventually you'll try to move up. Well, I ended up keeping that evening, you know, it was like 11 p.m. until 9 a.m. schedule. It was kind of convenient because I had the baby sleeping and then we didn't have to pay for like full-time daycare while I was working. And uh, my husband would go to school in the daytime and I would sleep with the baby for a few hours. And sometimes we would hire uh, like a mother's helper, or I would call it like a part-time nanny, who would usually come in for about four hours uh, when I was working three to four days a week. And that helped me get those three to four hours of sleep that I needed uh, to kind of <laughs> survive those years of having a baby and working. So that worked okay, except for it was open air. So if anyone is ever trying to set up uh, an office in your home and you are going to be on the phone or you have like a, a very sound sensitive job. So I was trying to listen to these uh, 
dictators, the people that are doctors who are trying to like, you know, narrate their medical records. So I'd be trying to listen to these foreign doctors or the people who would talk very fast. And I'm trying to type what they're saying. And it was really crucial that you hear correctly because you don't want to make a mistake in the medical record. So the, the trick with that whole office setup was that I couldn't hear very well if my husband was like say watching a movie or something or if the kids would wake up and would be crying and sometimes I'd even have to answer the phone um, and talk to someone say in the emergency room about a priority rush note or something like that so one way that we were able to solve that problem is that my husband he he couldn't listen to the tv on regular volume but he could get a headset and so he got like um headphones and then he got one of those extension cords that you could basically, you know, have an eight foot cord. And so he could have the TV on the wall and like he would sit eight feet away on, on the couch and, and I couldn't hear his show, which was great for us. So that's one way that we were able to survive those years. It was a good times in Illinois. We lived really close to the school. He was able to take his bike and it was about a one mile from the front door to his uh, office and we just were able to get by with one car since I, um, when I first started working from home about a, a month, maybe three weeks later, after I moved and started working from home in our in my first house in Missouri, my car broke down. And it was the first time I never had a commute. So it was terrible not having a car. I would have to like walk to the grocery store or, you know, take a bus or something like that. Um, some friends loaned me a car for a while, which is wonderful. But um, we never had to get a second car. We were able to... Um, to live off of one car because I always worked from home and we could either just share or he could ride a bike. So then we ended up moving back to Missouri. We wanted to live in the house that we um, owned. Um, that's another story for another day. I won't even get into that. But long story short, the house was not available. Um, it was occupied by other people and then also roaches and fleas. And so we had to rent another house. I was uh, about seven months pregnant at the time with our third child when we moved back to Missouri. And it was just a temporary situation where we were hoping to just live there while we had the baby and while my husband continued his job hunt. So when he um, eventually got the job in Arizona, we moved again. So we had about 10 months in this kind of like rental house. It was three bedrooms. We had the the two kids in one bedroom together and then um, thankfully there was that third bedroom where I was able to set up my office and he also had his office in the same room so that he was job hunting and I was working from the same space. There's not really a lot to talk about with that one other than the fact that I had to, every single time I moved, I always had to have the cable guy come out or the DSL people, um, to drill holes into my walls. And that, that has basically happened at every single house that I've ever lived at. Uh, when we looked at possibly moving back into the house that we owned, I was going to switch from DSL to cable. I felt that cable was a little bit more secure and fast and uh, dedicated. Uh, I felt like I wasn't having to share that line with all of the other people as far as like speed. So I did pay for the people to move um, the the cable once again to the house that I had already put like three different places. I I had them install cable and then we ended up never living there. So fun times. My husband did get a job in Arizona and we had very, very short amount of time to to basically get rid of half of our possessions and move across the country. <laughs> so that was interesting. Our baby was about eight and a half months old when we moved and she learned how to walk the same week that we were unpacking our house. And again, that was fun times. 
So in the rental house that we lived in in, in Arizona when we first got here, we, we chose to rent because my husband was in a contract position. It was a two-year contract. And we didn't know if it would be wise to try to buy, not knowing if it was going to be a permanent job. Uh, we had learned that the hard way with the house that we had in Missouri. So that was a four-bedroom house. It was a sort of situation where we didn't really have a lot of choice of what we ended up living in that time because the housing market was so crazy, even for rentals. Uh, rentals would be snatched up before you could even go see it. When we flew into town, I think there were 20 houses on the list that we wanted to look at. And the night before, there were only 12 left. And the morning that we were able to finally get out and go see houses, there were four. And the fourth one was gone before we could even see it. So uh, basically, it came down to we had to design the paperwork before we could even see um, anything else. We just had to because we had to fly out the same day. So we ended up in this kind of big house, which now we kind of wish that we would have stayed there because it was bigger than the one that we're in now. But um, four bedroom, again, we had that office space, which was nice. I um, I liked it because I was able to position my 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 desk so that I could see out the door if the door was open, like if um, if I wanted to be able to see my family, but I could also close that door. And it was just so nice, again, to have a door that would close and even lock if I needed to. And then now we are in another city in Arizona. Well, and that leads us to the house that we're in now. So we moved to be closer to the kids at school, which was nice because I don't have to drive 20 minutes every single time I need to drop off the kids or bring them a lunch or go f sign a paper or help volunteer. Uh, it does put a little bit longer commute on my husband. Uh, he doesn't mind, I don't think, too much because he gets 20 minutes of quiet. <laughs> Maybe he can listen to the radio or a podcast. And uh, But we did have to go ahead and upgrade and get a second vehicle at that point. Oh, my goodness. We were the people who just wanted a minivan more than anything. When you have three kids across the backseat of a Toyota Corolla for several years, and they can all reach each other and hit and kick, <laughs> um, it's never... There's never anything better than finally being able to separate the kids and give a little bit of space and even fit things into the car. So it was good. Uh, when we moved here, we had all three children into one bedroom because I needed to work in the, the third bedroom. It was going to be the, the office slash guest room, but I was working uh, three days a week, four days a week for, for Mayo Clinic, and they required me to have two egresses. So an egress means like an exit entrance. Uh, so I needed to have like a door and a window or two doors or or whatever combination. Two ways to get out of a room. Uh, when I worked for Mail Clinic, they actually required us to fill out a checklist. Every single time I moved, I had to show that I had a fire extinguisher and a battery-operated flashlight and a few other things to just show that I was in a safe environment. I had to take pictures and show everything. When I worked for Mail Clinic, they also required us to have a certain amount of ergonomic uh, furniture and desk equipment and setup. And they provided some of those things. They provided a split keyboard and a ergonomic mouse with like a trackball. Uh, they gave us the monitors and they gave us instructions about how to set up the monitors so that they would be, you know, an arm's length away and, you know, no higher than eye, eye level. Um, they did not provide a chair or a desk. And this is where I kind of went wrong. When I started working from home, and I'll go back a little bit. When I first started working from home by myself um, in that first house, I bought a chair. This actually the same. No, it's, it's a similar chair to what I'm sitting on right now. Uh, Salvation Army would always kind of get the leftover chairs or the surplus chairs from my own clinic. 
in Minnesota. And then those of us that started to work from um, from home, we could go and pick them up for $10 or something like that. It was actually a pretty good deal. Well, the first one I got was a little wonky. Like it looked right. It had the correct things. It had all the adjustable features, you know, the 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 seats and the tilt and the the angles and the arms and all of those things. Uh, it looked great. We were supposed to have an adjustable keyboard tray of some sort. And that's where I went wrong. I bought one. Um, thankfully, the Salvation Army also had uh, a keyboard tray that you could basically screw into a, a table or a desk. And that would give you like the flexibility to, to move the tray to, you know, to be a comfortable height. Well, I bought it, but I didn't install it. So uh, they required us to send pictures of our setup. And I did. I took the pictures of my, it was just a, a regular folding table. But if I had the ergonomic uh, keyboard tray, that would have been okay. <laughs> well, I'm a very honest person overall. Uh, but that day I had good intentions. I, I thought I will just take the picture really quick. And so I laid the the keyboard tray across the arms of my chair. And, and then I never got around to actually installing it. Well, fast forward a year from then, I couldn't work. My arms were hurting so bad. I thought I had a carpal tunnel. And, and part of it is just because I never properly set up my keyboard uh, to be adjustable. So I was kind of like, I thought if I just left my arms kind of in a straight position that that would, you know, work. Um, but I think I was holding my arms out in an awkward position, um, which probably was creating a lot more strain on my shoulders and my arms and and my wrists. So I was icing myself and using ibuprofen. Um, I was having people massage. I think I met my husband during that time. So he would sometimes massage my arms, just try to help me get through a shift. Um, it was, it was hard. I actually ended up, um, in a car ride nine hours back to Minnesota. My supervisor, you know, said, you know, if I can't, if I couldn't work my full shift, that I would need to be seen. And, you know, the best place to be seen when you work for Mayo Clinic is Mayo Clinic. So I hopped in the car and drove there and the guy, he gave me two pieces of advice that really, that really cured me. I thought perhaps he was going to tell me that I had carpal tunnel and that I would need surgery. And thankfully it wasn't that. The tendonitis was mostly just coming from me being stressed, working hard and never taking a break away from the computer. I wasn't stretching. Um, he said, you can't just do your banking and surf the internet on your 15 minute break. Cause I, you know, we were required to take a 15 minute break and a lunch, you know, every four hours we were given 15 minutes and then every, um, eight hour shift, you would get your lunch, um, either 30 to 60 minutes. But instead of actually like leaving my computer and like going and stretching or walking or exercising, I would just sit there eating at my computer and, you know, checking my personal email or who knows. I think there was a lot of online banking happening and, Maybe, I don't even know if Facebook existed back then. 2008, yeah, I think. You know, just surfing the web and not leaving. So he said, not only do you need to take your 15-minute break um, and your lunch away from your computer, but you need to take micro breaks as well. He said, you need to every hour, you know, stand up, move, stretch. Even if you're reading, you know, your work, you can, you know, do some of these, you know, kind of yoga moves. You can do the praying hands, palms together, stretch down, back and forth a little bit. Um, he just taught me several things and any person can look up these things. I know um, my husband actually now where he works, they even have it built into their system. I think sometimes it maybe disrupts their work, but it's kind of like a mandatory rest break where the computer basically says, 
it's time to stretch now. Here's some things you could do and even shows you a video of how you can do them. Now, if people are compliant with that, they probably wouldn't have as much pain. Um, but I know it's easy to blow those things off and maybe even bypass them at times. So, um, and that's what I was doing. I knew what to do. I knew how to do it. I knew I should do it. But kind of like, you know, taking good care of your body, <laughs> eating correctly, exercising, um, being good with your money. We always know what we should do, but we don't always do it in practice. And that's what happened to me. So I learned the hard way. Um, you know, ergonomics are not a sexy thing to talk about. Um, nobody likes to talk about ergonomics. Nobody thinks that they need that. But I learned the hard way that you do. Um, I'm thankful that I didn't need surgery. I'm thankful it didn't get so bad. Um, and it never, it's, I've had a few flare-ups in the past few years, you know, that maybe last a couple of days, but nothing ever again like what I experienced that summer. Um, so moving forward, here I am in this new house. Uh, we have three bedrooms. I'm in the spare bedroom. And my in-laws wanted to come and visit. Well, I didn't really have another place to work um, that would have had two egresses. I would have had to bring this desk into my um my bedroom. And we were going to just do that temporarily. Um, but it was a little bit more than just that. I wasn't only working for Mayo Clinic at that point. I had I was working about 33 hours a week for Mayo Clinic. I think it was like three days one week and four days the next. But then I had picked up an extra little side gig. I started teaching English in the middle of the night uh, to, to students in China. Um, super fun job. It was the sort of thing that I kind of felt like you know, 33 hours a week with mail was pretty good. And I was able to work extra hours often if I wanted to. But things were kind of starting to shift and change. And I kind of wondered what was going to happen next. Um, sometimes they weren't offered those extra hours. If I had always for, you know, the better part of 10 years, been able to work as many hours as I wanted, sometimes 40, sometimes 50 or 60. Uh, when my husband was job hunting and we had the baby, I was working a lot of hours during those years. Um, but it kind of felt like I wasn't getting any of the extra time anymore. And so when I saw an advertisement on uh, on Facebook, it was VIP Kid. And I know a lot of people have, have worked for them now. And it's kind of a household name, I think, these days. A lot of people know someone who has supplemented their income in some way by teaching for one of these online English um, as a second language programs. And it, it kind of struck my fancy. I was like, oh, what is this? And I think within a week, I was hired. Um, within a week, I was teaching for this new company and still working my Mayo job. And then after I'd log off for Mayo Clinic, I would log in and start teaching these kids. It was so fun. So the the conundrum that I had when my in-laws wanted to come to visit was that they needed to have this spare bedroom. We didn't want to put them up in the, the living room um, with the air mattress. We were like, you can have the bedroom, but I'm going to have to move all my stuff out. And moving into my bedroom wouldn't have been very a very big deal when it came to doing the transcription work, but the teaching part is loud. I was singing, I was playing my um, melodica, which is like a little organ thing that you play with your mouth, looks like a piano. Really loud and annoying. Um, I'd be singing happy birthday and head, shoulders, knees and toes at four o'clock in the morning. And so I didn't want to wake up my husband. Um, and I kind of started eyeballing my closet and um, I decided my husband was gone and I just shoved my whole desk in here and all the clothes were in here and we were able to eventually take the clothes out and we built some wardrobes. So I have actually been in this office for about two years, two and a half years now. 
Um, it's nice because actually for the podcast, you know, it's quiet, it's small, it's kind of full of stuff. Even though we took the clothes out, I still have a lot of like the teaching props that I used to have a, a comfortable chair in here. Um, I have, I, I often have to wear a different colored shirt for some of the, the, I work for two companies now uh, teaching English. And so one is like the orange themed shirts and the other is red themed shirts. Started teaching uh, English as a second language for adults as well as children. Um, and the second company that I got hired with, they're called iTutor Group or Tutor ABC. Um, they've been around for about 20 years. They have a 24-7 schedule. So when I was working for VIP Kid, I could only work either 6 p.m. at night to 6 a.m. in the morning. Sometimes it would be 7 a.m. in the morning, just depending on um, the restrictions at the time. More recently, they, they cut us off at 6 a.m. here in Arizona. China is... 15 hours ahead of us here in Arizona. And so their 6 p.m. is our 3 a.m. So if I want to like work during their primetime hours, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning or sometimes I was waking up at two o'clock in the morning to start teaching. Uh, I've been living that life for a few years. So I did shift from working those overnight hours uh, for Mayo Clinic to shifting to working overnight hours for VIP Kid. Uh, eventually, shortly after I did accept the teaching job with um, VIP Kid, Mayo Clinic announced that they were going to be uh, offering a separation package. And that just meant that uh, they were going to be downsizing in the department, but they didn't want to force anyone to leave at that time. They were going to just let people choose if they wanted to go. And if they did, you would basically receive something similar to like a severance package. And I had been telling people, oh man, I just really love teaching English so much, but I should probably keep my job with Mayo Clinic because I've got pension, because I've got these benefits. Um, I have tenure, you know, a few things. I, I'm good at my job. Um, but in, when I knew that they were probably going to be downsizing, um, going forward, I didn't know if I would maybe make the top 10%. You know, if they were only going to be able to keep 10%, I didn't know if I would make that cut. And I would rather leave on my own terms. At that point, my husband's two-year contract position did get changed to a full-time position and he was offered benefits. And I was able to, I was able to replace my income pretty well, but I did need to work more hours. The 33 hours a week that I was working for Mayo Clinic, they did pay me shift differential, um, which basically just means you get paid uh, an extra bonus for working those terrible hours on the nights and the weekends. The overnight weekend shift uh, differential was significant. So um, that was kind of a loss for me. I, I did end up having to work more on the weekend than I wanted to. When I worked for Mayo Clinic originally, I was working every single weekend, every single month, every single year for like seven or eight years. And then when my third baby was born, I was able to no negotiate something. They were going to allow people to go down to one out of every six weekends. And I agreed to work one out, one out of every four weekends. Um, I got a little bit of a perk, I guess, as far as my flexibility about those four weekends that I had. Um, but the... As soon as I started working for the English speaking companies, that's when I had to go back to lots of weekends. I was working 20 hours a week during the weekdays, um, Monday through Friday. I would get up about two o'clock in the morning and I teach until about seven most of the time, five days a week. And then I was working every weekend. I was logging about 9.30 or 10.30 at night and work until 9.30 in the morning, Friday night and Saturday night, which would equal to be with my lunch break about another 20 hours. So I was working full time. And I did this for about two years, but it was um, brutal in the fact that I never took a day off. Um, there would sometimes be four months or seven months before I would take a day off. Sometimes I would 
have a smaller shift and I would only maybe teach two hours instead of five. Um, but it was, um, it was kind of starting to wear me down when it came to the constant, you know, every single day of every single week, uh, working. So I've been able to find a few ways to, to get out of that. Um, slowly, 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 I've been able to reduce those hours a little bit. I was able to start interviewing some of the people who wanted to to work uh, for the company that teaches kids and adults. And um, I'm not really doing that actively now. They've had, you know, some changes in the hiring process. Um, they had been hiring people that were speaking uh, English natively and also people who were speaking English as a second language, but at a fluent um, native-like fluency. And they have uh, adjusted some of those requirements now. Um, and so I'm not really actively recruiting for that company, but I really did enjoy the months when I was um, interviewing and helping people get hired. Um, I've got the map here and just helping people get set up. Um, it was really a fun time. I was able to actually take some of the daytime hours when I was teaching for the second company because rather than only being for the kids, they were actually, um, they're actually teaching adults from around the world. So there's a lot of these maybe like Spanish, um, not Spanish, a lot of these Chinese speaking families that were coming from like say mainland China, um, who would move abroad. A lot of them live in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., all around Europe and stuff. So uh, even though they are primarily Mandarin-speaking families, they might live in a different time zone. And so if you're consistent with opening your schedule um, while your kids are at school here in the U.S., I was able to start uh, filling up those hours. It was kind of wonderful. I thought, now that my daughter is going to be going to kindergarten, my baby is finally going to be in kindergarten. I'm going to finally, after 12 years of working nights and weekends, I'm going to finally be able to work days again. Well, then the pandemic hit. So that leads us up to now. Um, currently, we have our three children at home with us. Uh, they are still enrolled in their charter school. Uh, it's a public charter school, and they are currently taking their classes. I think some of them are even in class right now. As I'm recording this, they are taking classes with their teachers in their in their grade. Um, and my husband and I are both working from home. My husband's position isn't a work from home position, but as of the pandemic, it is. Um, they actually even provided him uh, an allowance to buy a nice sit stand desk. And um, they provided him a chair and they gave him a little bit of extra for his, um, I think they gave him a monitor and he was able to buy a keyboard tray or something like that for his desk. And um, and so it's looking like he's going to be with us uh, semi-permanently, at, at least at this point. He does go on site once every seven or eight weeks if he's on call. Other than that, uh, our whole family is home all the time now. And so it is different than when I was working from home by myself. Um, it is different than when I was working at home with just a baby. Um, you know, now we're having to like not only juggle my husband's meetings, but also my interviews. If I'm recording or if I'm you know, doing any kind of consulting or something like that. Um, or if I'm teaching, you know, my, my kids have learned to always go to daddy. If he's in bed um, and they're like sick in the night or they need something, they just go to him. Um, they've learned to not knock on my door repeatedly. If, um, if they knock once and I don't answer right away, they know that I'm probably in the middle of teaching or recording. Um, so we've been able to make it work more or less. Um, and I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, going forward. Uh, we are planning on having our kids home with us for this year. Uh, that's, you know, a, definitely a change is the mindset change. Um, it took about six weeks before I think I really kind of came to grips with the fact that, 
you know, I am not going to be able to do, you know, these changes that I had wanted. My my daughter was a preschooler last year and she ended up staying home with me for two months. There was something going on with the preschool and we just felt like she would maybe uh, do better with me for a couple of months um, working through some things. And I didn't feel like I could get a stitch of work done when I had, you know, my four-year-old with me. Well, the summer came around and I looked around and I'm like, you know what? I think we're going to keep our kids home. And I think I'm going to try to start a business. <laughs> I've had this dream of starting the Yes, I Work From Home podcast and the company uh, for some time, for over a year. And now with the pandemic, I know a lot of people are working from home. I I really, really felt like it was, you know, time. Oh, my goodness. A lot of people need the the community and to be able to collaborate with others who are like-minded or who are living a similar lifestyle. And so even though... Uh, this wasn't great timing, you know, with having all three kids working from home as well as the two of us working from home. It just felt like it needed to be done. So in a future episode, I'm going to go ahead and talk about what this company is, what Yes, I Work From Home stands for, what we're going to be doing, um, some of the things that we already have in motion and are going to be putting into motion soon um, that will be coming forth in um, maybe in the next episode, maybe the next one after that. I have a few interviews lined up. Uh, but again, I just want to say thank you for listening. If you are interested in being a guest on the Yes, I Work From Home show, uh, go ahead and reach out to me. Go ahead and go to yesiworkfromhome.com forward slash podcast forward slash guest, singular guest. And you can uh, not only uh, apply to be a guest on the show, but you can also maybe recommend. There's two buttons, actually. The second one is guest recommendation. So there's, um, it basically will pop up a Google form and it's going to ask you for some of your contact information. Um, we are looking for guests who work from home, who also help people who work from home. So you can either have an interesting story about your own employment, about your own family, about where you live or your lifestyle. That's great. If you work from home and you also help people who work from home, we especially want to hear from you. We're looking to find people who help, uh, who can talk about things such as ergonomics, as I was saying, um, productivity, accountability, health, and wellness. Again, this has been Yes, I Work From Home, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.